0: Hey guys, welcome to The Tapping Go.
1: My name is Matt. My name's Freddie. Each week we bring you your rugby fix with interviews with past and present rugby professionals. And we get their views on the latest sporting issues.
0: Today we have a Waratahs legend. He's racked up 105 caps for the Sky Blue and even won a Super Rugby Championship in 2014. Welcome Paddy Ryan. Awesome,
2: well, thanks for having me boys. Very excited to be here.
0: Yeah, so on the top of Corona, I guess, how's the fitness going? Because you're still playing, I guess, professional rugby in that.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I'm uh, I'm contracted in Japan, and then I also play over in the States when I can. Um, obviously, not m- not much of that going on at the moment. we have been going on the world. So I got back from Japan mid March and uh, trained by myself for a while, which was pretty tough on the front row, So we don't like uh, fitness at the best of times, but um, I've managed in the last couple of weeks. Uh, they're letting amateur teams train over here. Some of my old clubs that I used to play for uh, Sydney University. Um, they've let me come down a man of mine's coaching first grade there. So I've been able to come down there and I'm there but like sign all the forms as a coach and do all that kind of stuff and then I'm allowed to train with the boys and go. Mm-hmm. And get the um have
1: you had any inclination of when you're gonna if if your season get back on the way or if you're gonna get any more rugby?
2: So they cancelled our season in Japan. Um, so that's done. So we'll start again next year. Um, I think at the moment they're talking about either December or January.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: and then in America it was cancelled as well, so they'll be starting up Jan, Feb. So we've kind of been trying to work it is do a season in Japan and then get maybe the last four, five, six games of regular competition in America and hopefully San Diego in the finals, and then from there get into it. So. Yeah. Mm. yeah sure.
1: Well, that's also going to be quite a long break for you from professional rugby. If you say December, January is when it's going to start. So How are you going to sort of keep
2: yourself going? Uh, well, it's uh, it's not hard because it's better than the alternative. It's better than actually getting out into the real workforce, <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll be trying to avoid that as much as I can. So, um, I think for front rowers it's pretty important to keep your strength up because that's something that can take a little while to come back. Sort of. So if you only had an eight week preseason. You maybe hadn't been getting, your yeah, particularly your leg and your core strength and stuff like that in. Um, you could be find yourself a little bit behind the eight ball, so not having gyms, um, which we didn't for a long time down here, um, I'm sure everyone's been the same. Um, and then not having connection to a good club here, it was hard to kind of get into a gym or get equipment delivered to the house or anything like that. So that was a little bit tough, but since I've been able to get back into the gym, things have been okay. Um then in terms of fitness and stuff, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a punish having to do the straight line, but unfortunately we have to do it to be able to perform. So yeah, one to two sessions of that a week. I've also been training with an old teammate from the Taza Goku Patrick. have um, been doing a little bit of swimming with him and then I'm big into my yoga. So I've been trying to keep busy with that stuff. Um, to make sure that I'm good to go when I get called back to Japan.
0: Yeah, for sure. Nice. So I guess on that topic of Waratahs, so you won the champ in 2014 with a pretty strong team. It's uh, got lots of stars in it. What was that like? So what were the experiences of the season?
2: Well, it was a pretty amazing kind of year. The Waratahs had never won a Super Rugby final. The competition had been around for, I think, 19 years at the time. Um, We'd always been kind of a strong part of Australian rugby in terms of we produce a lot of good players. Uh, but the Brummies had managed to win two by that stage. The Reds did won one. Um, we didn't have any, which was a bit of a sore point for us and everyone involved with in the club, um, supporters, players. So there's a lot of pressure there, and it was uh, it was a, just an awesome year. Sometimes you just feel like you n- you'd never mention it. I'm a little bit superstitious, so you wouldn't want to jinx it. But sometimes you just feel like things are going to happen. They're just going to they're going to come out, and there was something. Something about the way Michael Checker brought everyone together and the way he was with the, with the group and the calibre of players we had that just felt really special. And um, Yeah, sure enough, it, uh, it all came together. And um, it all came down to that last kick, which we were able to put over. And Yeah, we got to have a few beers after, which was good fun. Mm.
1: And obviously, Mario Ledesma was another quite influential character in your career. What was it like being coached by him, obviously, now that Argentinian head coach?
2: Yeah, Mario is a, uh, he's a he's a very intelligent guy. He's very charismatic. You know, I think he went to four World Cups. Um, he led the Argentinians to their best campaign. I think they came third in France in 7 I'm thinking. Um, yeah, look, he's. I think the impact Mario had on Australian front rowers can still be seen today um, with the likes of Taniela Tupou. I think Mike um, Alan Alto is one of the. Premier tight heads in the world. You've got guys like Scott C.O., James Slipper. The impact he's had on all these guys' careers. um, He's still sort of shining through. He's he's an extremely good coach for front rowers, and particularly for hookers and props. And for all forwards he he's got something to contribute. But I think particularly for those front rowers, he was really good. And I think fortunately as Australians, um, we're still reaping the benefits from that now. With the quality of young players that he spent a lot of time with sort of in those years around 2015 16 i think maybe even 17 before he left um to go back to argentina uh, certainly 16. so yeah i think he was uh, he's been great for all, all of australian rugby you
1: talk about the front row that's i'm front row player but what sort of advice would he sort of give you what's like the best tips you've had so for anyone who's listening who's an inspiring front row player
2: um what so well? The best advice we got from Mario was he—he he sort of, he was more sort of more Latino in the way he went about things. Australians are traditionally quite methodical in the way we go about rugby. Um, uh, I think uh, I suppose the guy who I think about most would be someone like Eddie Jones, who's really big on guys making sure they hit their roles and do their jobs, and that's kind of a very strange way to look at things all across all the sports that we play. But Mario, there's a lot of sense of feel and a lot of. This is what you need to do and dominate your opponent by, you know, getting on top of them um, using your emotion and your energy. So he was quite big on that. But I think, I think one thing you could say to just about all young front rowers that if you've got the size, it comes down to the work. If you're prepared to put the work in, I think the amount of professional teams there are in the world now, there's just so many opportunities out there. Um, And I feel like rugby is truly a game for people of all sizes, all shapes and sizes. And if you're if you're fortunate enough to have the shape that uh, is conducive to being a front rower, then I think uh, then I think if, if you put the work in, you've really got a good opportunity to make that into your career. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's one of the few games in the world where that's the case. I certainly think, you know, big games like soccer and stuff, if you don't have the fitness or certain body types, then it's going to be really hard for you to get picked up. Um, but uh, rugby's not like that, you know. Yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're an all-inclusive game. Mm, yeah. yeah. so
0: recently we just had um Henry Hutchison who said one strange pre-game rituals and I, I guess you just mentioned you're a bit superstitious do you have any pre-game rituals or a bit weird
2: no nothing nothing to pre what was Henry's what was Henry's um, mean pre-game so,
0: no so he had it, wasn't Josh, yeah, it was Josh Coward so he um he would walk around the changing rooms naked to feel confident and obviously it's seven so um they'd uh, share changing <laughs> rooms with the opposition or another team and, they, and he said that he just got
2: weird looks from um I guess his teammates <laughs> in the opposition. Yeah. Well, uh yeah, boys, i tell say one thing I wouldn't be doing and that'd be walking around the change room <laughs> completely naked. Even if it was in front of my own team. I don't tend to get too worked up before the game, but I uh certainly still enjoy getting out there. So it's pretty relaxed in the build up and then yeah, I suppose the the strongest thing would be like the game day playlist, you know, i like to make sure I just has gotta be it's going to be a pretty good song to kind of get a call-up into that. And I'm, uh, I'm a bit of a sticker. I don't listen to those songs outside of game dates, and I don't reckon following game days on. So that's probably the weirdest thing I do, I reckon.
0: Yeah. So I guess you um, So you previously mentioned Michael Checker, and he was your Waratahs coach in 2014. And um, I guess mm-hmm. recently, in 2019, he recently, I guess, left the Wallabies set up. And there's a lot of talk about, I guess, his character and sort of his coaching style. What was it like, I guess, as a player being
2: involved with him? Yeah, I'm a big fan of Chex. I, uh, I really like him. Um, he is a polarising figure, without doubt. You know, he's a, uh, he's really captivates a room. He's very charismatic um, when he wants to be. He's obviously quite emotional. Um, he's got quite a good read on character of of, of blokes, uh, particularly guys in a rugby environment. He kind of understands his, who's really ripping in and doing the work they need to be doing and the guys that maybe aren't performing as well as they should and maybe the reasons why he clicked with some guys who other coaches perhaps haven't clicked with as well, guys like Curley and Jack Spocky, He just really got the best out of those guys and he saw them performing at a world-class level for the Waratahs and for Curly that carried on for a couple of years after into 2015 and he stint at Wasps as well. And... Um, so yeah, I've always really enjoyed him. He, you know, he splits people. Some people don't like him, and I Jack's very aware of that. I don't think he's too concerned by it usually. When people, when he feels like people take a swipe at his integrity, which is some of the stuff we've seen um, in the press over the last few weeks, um, you know, he's going to come back. He went back down from a fight, but he's a great bloke. He's a great bloke to to, to play underneath, and um, yeah, it's disappointing to see him go out of the way he did that he would have wanted he would have wanted a better result, but yeah, I mean he gave he would give him his best. Knowing the kind of like he is, he puts a lot of time and effort into it. And he does some pretty weird and wacky stuff to try and get the boys up, which is uh which is which was always a lot of fun. But uh yeah ultimately I really like him. Uh oh, I'm trying to think of ones you might not have heard. I mean I think the first time he used to like bring these kind of souvenirs that it would make his own trophy for a big game. So the Chiefs won the comp in 2012 and 2013. And Dave Rennie was the coach of them, actually. And um, they won it kind of off the back of being like tough forward pack, hard work with good back line. And we had a good back line. We we usually do it with but We need our forward pack. going to be tough and hard working. And so he designed this thing. So I don't know if everyone in the Northern Hemisphere knows, when you play in Hamilton, or in, we are playing New Plymouth this night, when you play in the Waikato against the Chiefs, they ring these cowbells and they're so bloody annoying. They just ring them the whole game. You're trying to throw a line out in, you're trying to hear a call from your tab. these cowbells are going the whole time. So, check. he got a cowboy made up and he put Waratahs versus Chiefs and the date and whatever. And he said, we're going over there and we're going to win this off these blokes. He would use a little bit more colourful language, usually check and would um, we're going to win this off these blokes because we're going to work harder and we're going to get the score. And then after, during the song, in the shades and after, we're going to sing the team song, we're going to ring this thing very loudly and for a very long time. And um, sure enough, it was just a little thing that the boys really got fired up about. We went out there, we had a good night. Some of the boys played really well, in particular, I think Dave Dennis, Will Skelton had huge games. Um, and when, you, when those guys were going forward, blokes like KB and Ben Foley were doing So we went into the sheds afterwards and sure enough, little Brendan McKibben was up on the table singing the song the loudest, ringing the bell the loudest and uh, yeah, it was a good night. And that's the kind of thing you used to do.
1: Mm. So obviously your international career, you were right on the edge of the Wallaby squad for a lifetime of time. So Was that anything you sort of wish you'd done differently? Or how do you cope with the of being so close and yeah, just missing out
2: on that final call-up? Well, you mean yeah, there's only one way to cut, you just gotta get on with it, don't you? Like you can't really dwell on it. Of course I wish I played a lot more tests. There's things oh, there's things on change. I think I mean, I just didn't take my chances every time I was given a chance to a few guys in and around and I just didn't didn't play well enough. And then I think it may have been a bit of a lack of maturity about being to handle the situation it may have been a little bit of entitlement as well like I've done my time I've played a lot of good super and now my chance I'll get a get a couple of bites of the cherry but it just it never worked out like that for a couple of reasons and um, yeah I mean unfortunately for me that there are uh, yeah that's what I, that's what I have to live with but in some ways I'm very fortunate that I, you know I've got a little recap part of that club um but yeah, certainly we like to play more. Um, yeah, I think the biggest factor would be that by the time I probably was good enough to play consistently good at test level, there were blokes there that, that just weren't going to be replaced. Like I said earlier, I think Alan Altails, world-class tight head and then you got that power and use of 10-year-old 2 but You're not really going to chuck an old 31-year-old red bearded bloke in there. You've got those guys running around. So that's kind of how the cookies crumbled now and um, in some ways it's good because it meant that... I was prepared to go the season, try some new stuff out, and I really enjoy where I play my footy
0: now. Yep. so I guess you moved on to the um playing in America. So you're wearing a San Diego hat at the moment, and um this year they just um, had the um I guess they just had the first college draft and everything. How big can rugby act get in America? Can it sort of trump the all the other four major sports?
2: Oh well, I think in terms of the global appeal, like we're right up there. I mean, soccer's got it as well, but. They haven't really performed at a soccer level. It's probably going to take them longer to be able to compete at a World Cup in soccer than it would, even if you start from now, than it would for them to compete at rugby because they've, you know, they've got some amazing athletes over there. They've got people who understand the game. Um, so I think rugby could really explode. Um, <clears throat> or I think it really could explode over there. And, you know, they've decided to go down the path of a draft. Um, so they're kind of a little bit of a hybrid between the MLS, which is the soccer competition over there, and then what you'd see in the NBA, NFL, or I suppose the NHL Guild as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's like, it is kind of exciting. Like a little bit of hype. I mean, There's not much sport on, so you're going to watch things. But I checked the draft out, saw who we drafted. You know, we drafted a guy um, called Pat Madden, who, he's a San Diego local. His mum used to work at the club. So that was kinda of cool. He like said that guy gets drafted and you're like, oh, that's awesome. Like he'd be so pumped about that. And then sure enough, you on Instagram, he's there, like just absolutely stoked. Um I don't know much about the other guy, um Carzoni, I think or something, his last name was, but yeah, you know, good on him. He's come to San Diego. They're a great club. They've signed a, they've had a couple of you know, a couple of big signings again with Rob Shaw coming. So it's gonna be a good place to be, the young bloke. Because you've got a lot of good old hard heads there. If Nani comes back, and I think Joe Peterson will. then it'll be a good team to be, and it's certainly a great comp to play in. The money's not there compared to Europe and Japan, um, but it's going to become more competitive once the TV rights to pick up for sure.
1: You talk about Rob Shull there, so obviously that's the big news, in sort of the last week or so. What sort of impact do you think that uh, will? International former England captain. It's going to have quite a big impact on the squad.
2: Yeah, I mean, I. I I'm not sure if I've played against him. The only time I think I would have played against him would have been in '13 when the Lions played the Tars, But I'm not sure. I was in the British and Irish Lions. Um, but yeah, other than that, I'm not sure I've ever played against him. I don't know much about him other than he was captain and he's obviously a um, you know an absolute legend of Queens. Um, but I think the calibre of that player and the fact that he's come over a little bit younger, you know, none who's sort of in his late thirties at 13 even though he still has it to be fair. Um, but yeah there was um, I think the, the fact that Rob Shaw, we've had Robshaw and Foden both come over in the early 30s is giving the competition a little bit more merit. Mm. I think we'll see some more guys sign there because guys that want to play and live in America and aren't necessarily motivated by money they've made enough money or they're just not motivated by it they're the kind of guys that have got to come over guys who think the game's bigger than them and that seems to be a bloke like Chris who's excited to, to come to a good club and um, and see what happens and I really hope we get the chance to play with him and, and Martin on it because you know they're two, two world class players and um, I think they'll give us a very good chance of having a good year next year at San Diego.
0: Yeah. So, what are the, what what we say are the main differences, in sort of like routine and sort of mindset between the the squad in um at the Waratahs and at
2: San Diego. Well, it's quite raw. So you get you've got uh, I mean you've got works who would be I mean there's no really nice way to stay. I suppose they're equivalent of a club player in Australia and you know an amateur player over in the UK. Um, and so they you know they prepare like that. One um yeah they like, might be more inclined to have a drink mid or um you yeah, know things of that nature so they you know the preparation isn't perhaps as professional um and then you've got other guys from america playing your team who have played college football and they've played in front of over a hundred thousand people more than sort of half a dozen times which is just incredible like you think about the players in World Rugby who have done that, there wouldn't be many because there's just not many opportunities to play in front of that many people. And here are these guys starting, you know, there's a starting linebacker at San Diego who played seven, who played, who played at um, uh, Washington University, UW, and was unreal. There's the there's a prop there who played at Fresno, who was a centre there and captain of the team and played down in, you know, places in Texas where he's playing in front of 100,000. It's just unbelievable kind of, um, to hear these guys describe, so they're obviously very professional, you know, and they're they're built like their capabilities and the gym are exceptional and all that kind of stuff. So you've got a real big kind of spectrum of players, and then I think the biggest thing would just be the understanding of the game would be the biggest difference is just just knowing where to run, timing your lines, passing, little things that are hard to do, you know. like, passing any bad side uh, just things that, you don't know, pick up quickly to just take time and just have to be ground out they're probably the biggest factors um, and maybe the biggest sort of things holding the game back in terms of the spectacle over there I mean I, I think it's still a pretty good spectacle but um, the faster that those skills and things can be picked up the more likely Americans are going to start to love the game more and then the, the more likely it becomes a real force in, uh, in the global rugby competition.
1: Obviously, NFL players are sort of a few of them are deciding that rugby is the way to go, and there's a couple that are going the other way. Did you see the Marquette? Uh, is it Marquette King? He tweeted, "If I played rugby, I would dominate it easily." And the All Blacks man bites into training session. Yeah. So what is yeah. your, your view on NFL players thinking like they could rugby is sort of the lesser sport? Yeah.
2: To turn to? Yeah, well, I mean, there's some that would just be... I don't know how much you guys follow it. I got a little bit into it over there. There's this guy that plays for... I think it's in New York Jets or the Giants. I can't remember his name. Saquon Barkley. And there's no way. there like, would be like 10 guys on the team that wouldn't be able to tackle that bloke. He's an absolute beast. But in terms of the guy that was carrying on about it, this King guy, I don't know what he did before, but he he's in the XFL or something. You know? So it's like he's not even in the top competition. He's a kicker. So... I do went on his Instagram page when I saw him come out to see what was going on. He was getting a bit of hype off about some kind of deadlift jump at 60 kilos. So I wouldn't get too excited if I were him. I don't think he'd last very long against <laughs> some of those brothers playing, playing the back line for Australia, New Zealand, or, or England, you know. Um, yeah. It's not as easy as they think, some of the guys over there, but certainly there's some athletes that you just, some of the running backs and, Linebackers, guys like maybe he might be a little bit old now, but someone like a JJ Watt, they're just those guys, just unbelievable athletes, and would be able to play any contact sport anywhere in the world and give it a fair shake. Same as we mm. see Sonny do. you know, like the, the blokes are just specimens and have a work ethic, they're going to be successful. Guys who are just running their mouth trying to create a headline, not so much.
1: It's mm. so obviously you played in Japan, well, you're playing in Japan, as you mentioned. And so obviously the um recent World Cup was such a big success and sort of mm. we saw how well Japan did, but was the club rugby, is it all to such a high standard or is have they just managed to get such a good group to in the international side?
2: Uh well a combination of both, I think. So I started playing in Japan at the end of twenty eighteen after my last spin at the Cars. And then there wasn't a competition in nineteen. or there was, but it was just a it was a, like a round robin kind of knockout thing that wasn't very formal. Excuse me. Because um because of the World Cup. So the setup was different. So instead of playing in that, I played in America. So the difference in standard between two, the end of 2018 when I played there, and the start of uh, this year, 2020, was markedly different. You know, you can really see the increase in physicality in particular because the Japanese are traditionally quite fit and have very good skills. They're usually extremely good at passing and like to play the ball fast, which is what we saw at the World Cup. Um, But yeah, the competition had definitely stepped up in terms of its level of physicality. And um, I really think they're going to have a product to sell outside of Japan in the the near future. At the moment, the kind of, I think, um, there's probably four teams there that uh, are very good. And in my opinion, certainly three of them would be able to compete at a Super Rugby level, Panasonic, Kobe and uh, Santeri they would all be able to compete at a Super Rugby level. Um, the guys they have there, you know, in the past, people used to question the ability of the Japanese guys. Well, the Japanese guys of those clubs. Are, they're world-class athletes, to test players. So, um, yeah, I think we're gonna see the competition really go from strength to strength. And even in terms of the crowds, we saw the crowds over the last few years, uh, well, from 2018 to the, to the start of 2020, there was a huge increase. Even at Sanix games, you know, we're usually go mid table. And um, we got 10,000 for our first game in a sort of 15, 20,000 seat stadium, and they were going nuts. It was awesome. So, yeah, I think we'll see the game really grow there. And they're a big market, you know, 130 million people. They've only really got baseball and soccer and a little bit of rugby and then sumo, which is a bit different setup in terms of how you watch it. So, yeah, I think there's a big opportunity there for rugby. And, um, Think Australia and New Zealand would be sooner to try and
0: engage them in some kind of super rugby setup. So especially after the World Cup we saw sort of a tunnels of, sort of really experienced international players move to Japan. Is there ever a risk for sort of these countries and clubs to sort of not focus on the youth development side and only look at sort of more experienced side?
2: In Japan. Yeah. No, I mean, well, you, you have to play, you can play five foreigners. So you can play two internationals and then three uh, non-internationally capped foreign players. So, I mean, you're only ever going to have maybe 10 in your squad, maybe, um, because you can only ever have five on the field and one on the bench. So it, the difference between the good teams the difference between the good teams and the top teams in the Japanese competition at the moment isn't what foreigners they've got. It's what, how good your Japanese guys are. So the development's actually more important because everyone kind of spends, you know, maybe not the same, but similar amounts on getting guys in. Um, and they all do it in different positions. So, you know, like, Sundry want sure They, they have Sean McMahon, Mac Guido and Samu Karevi, But then someone like... Um, Kubota had Vermeulen and Foley and Crotty, you know, so they're like a little bit different kind of player um, in, you know, in similar positions. And then you've got, you've plenty of guys, you know. Some some teams want to crop, some want to run call them lock, some want wingers, fullbacks. It's it's different. So you need to be able to develop your players. I think traditionally the Japanese tend not to bring too many halfbacks over because they just have a lot of really sort of smaller fit, amazing passing guys with amazing pass. Um but outside of halfback, um anyone can kind of get a go over there and you'll part of your job as an internationalist to be able to coach a Japanese guy to play your position just as well because sometimes for the betterment of the team, you know, you need a like you may not we may not need a tight head in there that week. We may need a we may need a we may need a five eight or something. So you've got to make sure that you're you're able to do both and you may be able to have someone who can do both <clears throat> just as well, so you can have a Japanese guy play that position that week, or or a foreigner. Yeah,
0: sure. So I guess on that topic of um, sort of the future of Australian rugby and development, as you said earlier. So we see a lot of the super teams at the moment are sort of focusing on um youth development, especially like the Queensland Reds, who had some crazy statistic about the average age last year being below twenty three or something like that. Where do you see yep. sort of, and I guess with the Waratahs at the moment, you see um Angus Bell, who's a Uh, prop very young um, Will Harrison at 10 where do you see sort of um, the future of these Australian sides going and Australian rugby as a whole
2: yeah well I think you know we have seen over the last few years we've seen the teams get younger and younger Um, so at the moment you'd, you'd assume we're tracking down in terms of our average age of the teams but I think the best team in Australia consistently has been probably the Brumbies for the last couple of years and they've tended to have a few more Mature guys mixed in with their youth there, and I think that's going to be a really important part of, uh, of the Super Rugby teams in Australia going forward. I think uh, you know you're going to need you're going to need those few guys, a few old heads, to guide them around, regardless of how young or how good. I mean, some of the names you mentioned there, particularly some of the you know considering how young they are, guys like Angus Bell and Will Harrison are exceptional footballers, but they still need to learn how to play off those older guys will learn what to do in certain scenarios. So I think, you know, Australia's probably going to be producing young super Rugby players for a while. So um, for the next couple of years, just the way everything's going here, but we're going to need those old players um, here as well. And there may even be a situation where you start bringing guys back in certain positions to try to show up or teach other young guys, you know, maybe that's part of your investment in someone's, in someone's progression, but I think uh, you need you, you need a mix of maturity and uh, and, and and youth, can in, in the in the side to be successful.
1: Mm. And looking more so on the international stage, do you think the Wallabies should potentially change the quota law and allow all Australians who are playing abroad to be able to be selected for the Wallabies, like they have now in South
2: Africa? Yeah, it's a tough one. I don't think you wouldn't want it to be everyone because less incentive for guys to go offshore but I think in terms of changing the rules um, I don't know if you guys have seen but in the paper today, Rennie said if they're playing within the Super Rugby competition, perhaps he would consider, um, and there was a guy who played proper for Melbourne this year who's gone to the Landers, Stockard um Jermaine Ainsley who's a pretty handy tight so, you know that's the kind of guy you're thinking about, I and mean, we also lost I was at the Tars in 16 and 17 and eligible for the Wallabies then he never got picked he's now played you know 20 or 30 games for the All Blacks so maybe they're going to let guys who are playing in New Zealand who play RITM and then get picked up by a Kiwi team maybe they'll be able to play for the Wallabies i think they're going to tweak it they're not going to i, I don't, i'd be really surprised if they put it to zero because it's just too many guys who go offshore
0: yeah also I guess another thing in the news at the moment is um the Reds they're trying what well, they've got Siliasi Vinivali for next year who's a rugby league winger and Dave Rennie recently phoned him out saying you're very much in um, sort of in the picture of Wallabies and potentially can become a, a starting winger. Do you think sort of I guess the idea of Australia having lots of comparative contact sports to sort of the AFL rugby league union um is it sort of how how is rugby union going to sort of I guess or almost overtake the league and AFL these days because we see a lot of young boys perhaps going into the league out of school.
2: Yeah, well, I mean there there would be few sporting markets in the world as competitive as Australia in terms of our populations. Twenty five million, we support three fully professional contact um, codes, so it's two more whole codes than America. America has, and they've got whatever you know, ten over ten times population, twelve times, fourteen times population in Australia. <clears throat> so it's a really competitive market. And so, how do you make your money in sport? Well, you have to sell the TV rights, you know. So you've got to make sure your product's good. So you have to have the best players. You need the best players for the top competition. Now, the the as rugby, I mean, we don't want to be we don't want to be having to buy guys like one of our Valle back because just not financially viable, you know, he's at his peak now, he's been the best, one of the best wingers in the league for three years, so he's going to be costing value, top dollar to bring him across, and you know, with all due respect to wingers, he's a winger, like, you know, there should be you should be able to find him everywhere, so I think, look, he's a, he's a great prospect, he's an unbelievable athlete, but... We need to make sure that we're developing guys within rugby and make sure the grassroots are getting the getting getting the, the right kind of nurturing. Because I think at the moment, um, you know, the AFL is doing a really good job. When you're in Sydney and you're living here, they're everywhere. AFL are giving out footies and all that kind of stuff. They're very good, and the rugby league rugby league's sticking along pretty well as well. So they've got some really strong spots for where they are. So. I think in terms of rugby, that's that's probably our biggest challenge in Australia is making sure we feed the grassroots where it's necessary. So that come the twenty uh, the twenty twenty three twenty seven thirty one World Cups, we're really uh, we're really giving it a good shake. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, definitely seems to be like a more long term approach now as they restart. Yeah. Um, Paddy, I'm just conscious that we're running out of time here, so thank you so much. But just one final question, which we Ask all of our guests is their highlight of their career. Is your favourite moment maybe it was a particular period or game? Uh, yeah, I mean,
2: you couldn't go past winning the two thousand and fourteen uh, Super Rugby final. But I'm sure that's quite a generic response. So I'd say three <laughs> days after is uh, is is one of the most amazing three days. I mean, you think it'd be you'd spend the whole time drunk, but it wasn't so much about that. It was more. It literally feels like, and still to this day it feels like the kick went over by Bernard and I woke up in my bed on Tuesday. And that's not because of how intoxicated I got. It's more just like the complete euphoria. It's like, it's like just these flashing memories, you know, like the kick goes over, we're in the change room, having a beer, singing the song. Then we're at the venue they'd booked after with your family. And then, um, you know, like the sun's coming up over Bondi. I'm right at someone's house, and then you know you're down at the pub, and the media's all there, and everyone's hung over and stinks, and no one cares. It's Just, and then you get in the parade, and run on a boat, and all these jazz. It's just, it's just like these flash memories, but at the time, it literally felt like a kid went over I work up on Tuesday. So um, that was the best experience, and the, the, the time after was very special, and something that uh, I'll cherish forever.
1: Yeah, that sounds like it. Um, Paddy, thank you so much for giving up the time. Obviously, the time difference is really great for us. We've been really interesting, and I'm sure everyone who's to listening to this is going to love hearing what you've had to say.
2: Yeah, sure. Thanks, Freddie. Thanks, mate You're doing a good job. So, uh, all the best with your future podcasts.
1: Thank you so much. Oh,
2: come on. Come on. Go. Sports Social Podcast Network.